listening to Untold Stories of Perth, a special edition produced by the Centre for Stories. In this episode, listeners are cautioned that we will be discussing sensitive topics such as suicide and self-harm. Please call Lifeline on 131114 if you require support. I think for me, as a teenager, it was fairly being quite lonely. I had uh, family who were not very supportive. Uh, The whole community wasn't supportive. But then as I got into adulthood and I met um, other gay people, I suddenly realised I wasn't the only um, person afflicted like this Uh, because at that time, gays were being defined as illegal, immoral and unnatural. In this episode of Untold Stories, we talk to Brian Lindbergh, Graham Douglas and Vivian Cass, three of the original founders of a group known as CAMP that fought for the rights of the LGBTQ plus community in Perth since its beginnings in the 1970s. Brian and Graham also happened to be lifelong partners who met each other at this time. I was lecturing at UWA, Brian was doing a dip ed, and he turned up at a gay bar one night, came up to me and said, Hello, Mr Douglas. <laughs> I said, who are you? <laughs> and he said, I'm one of your students. I said, oh. So there it all has started, 52 years ago. Long before Brian and Graham fell in love, They had struggled to come to terms with their sexual orientation in what was an extremely conservative environment. When they did eventually come out, they knew they were up against a barrage of discrimination and homophobia, both in politics and in the broader community. In my own home, the attitude of parents and relatives was appalling towards gay people. There was no support at school for for anybody. Uh, There's a high degree of bullying that occurred, uh, I think I stood out as being different, as you do, and I was how I was picked on. And having had that experience and being a teacher, I was determined that no child was going to experience what I experienced. When I, when I came out, my initial reaction was extreme anger that I was, I was 28 when I came out. Brian was about 14. Uh, I was just angry that there was this infrastructure, there was this group of people I knew nothing about. I didn't know where they, where they congregated. I didn't know anything about beats, as they were called, and then anything. I didn't know anything. And then to come out and find, go into a place where there's dozens of people like me, I was furious about it. And that's one of the reasons I got initially involved in CAMP. Campaign Against Moral Persecution, otherwise known as CAMP, formed in 1971 with Graham as its first president, Brian as its treasurer, and Viv Cass, a certified psychologist and later sexual therapist, joining soon after. She would go on to create a counselling service and several support groups for LGBTQ plus people, including one for married couples that had a gay or lesbian partner and another for teenagers struggling with their identity. I think it was about 1974 that I joined the Campaign Against Moral Persecution. When I joined, I was invited along. I went to the first committee meeting and I noticed there was a phone that rang a lot of times 
um, and was being answered and it was clearly people who had problems wanted to talk about uh, am I gay, what do I do and so on. Clearly there was there was complete lack of places for people to go in terms of there was no sexual therapy, nothing like that. This was beginning to change. It was a time when sexual and social revolution was in the air, even in a city as isolated as Perth, Western Australia. People were beginning to demand equality and liberation for anyone who identified as gay, lesbian, or just felt like they didn't fit in. I had a very strong thing about uh, inequality and unfairness. And so I would get very angry about the way homosexuals were treated. And also it turned out transgender later. And there was so much to change. Remember when when I first got into the, the whole scene, uh, it was illegal for men to be Gay. So here are all these people like Graham and Brian we've spoken to, another friend of mine, David, who's now deceased, who was actually jailed for being uh, gay, you know, a very gentle man, right, musician in jail. Just So you had all that happening. Another reason for camp being there in the first place was the, the state of the law in Western Australia at that stage. We knew we were being extremely ambitious in trying to get law reform, but that was our main agenda in the very early stages. The law back then in the early 70s, uh, male sodomy was uh, 14 years hard labour with or without whipping. There were not many instances of this law being applied, but there were some. But there were still quite a few arrests. Uh, Loitering was the main offence um, usually a fine, occasionally jail, um, trumped up charges against minors and things like that. So camp, we knew it was going to take a long, long time to change a law as extreme as that down to where there's no law at all. We did lobby politicians. We got no empathy whatsoever from the right side of politics and not so much either from Labor. There have been very negative comments made in the past and so on, and one I remember was associated with St Mary's Cathedral, and they referred to to, um, gays as just a a bunch of useless fairies, blah, 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 blah. Anyhow, so uh, there's a whole group of us, about 10 of us. Uh, We all got dressed up in fairy costumes and danced through the cathedral during Mass. But, yes, the the expression on the congregation was um, quite interesting. Camp was facing an uphill battle to change homophobic attitudes in the community and incredibly backward laws in government. They needed to gather as much support as possible to their cause. On 30th of May 1971, a small ad was placed in the Sunday Times newspaper that read, People who would like information regarding homosexuality and thereby assist in the development of proper social understanding write to David Widdup, Campaign Against Moral Prejudice. The group was inundated with telephone calls and letters responding to the ad. Some of the, the, the stories were just awful. I mean, particularly when you got, you know, say young, young people living in country areas where the towns they were living in would have been tr- tremendously homophobic, terribly homophobic. And, you know, uh, families who they, the kids knew would never accept them 
And I remember one fabulous story of a, a young guy from one of these farming towns and he rang to speak to me and um, he was crying and he said that his father had just found out. He told his, must have told his father that he was attracted to boys and the father had banned, told him to leave home. And so here he was being forced out of home. So I sort of helped him to find somewhere, you know, in, in Perth. The response I got from that, I was just overwhelmed. Just the number of people coming out, talking about what they'd experienced and the number of attempted suicides and it was horrific. Well, when people are actually, when you actually meet them some, then they showed you the scars on their uh, wrists and so on where they attempted suicide. It's, it's, it's very emotional, moving stuff. But that, that reaching out to people then, and then them responding gave us a lot of strength to keep going and to keep pushing. I was really quite amazed because we raised quite a bit of money and we were able to establish club rooms up in West Perth. One of the other things I need to mention too is I was determined to get um, gay men out of public toilets. I just thought as meeting places, this is absolutely abhorrent and something needed to be done. Given that homosexual behaviour was illegal, uh, people had to find clandestine ways to meet and so on, and that's where people would meet, and often in parks, which are quite secluded, but that then becomes highly dangerous because of uh, bashings, murders, uh, extreme violence. Because there was quite a bit of harassment by police uh, at these beats, one of the first things Camp tried to do was it was to get a liaison officer with the WA Police Department. There was someone we could go to in the police department who themselves were police and try and work things out. But once people became comfortable about meeting at the club rooms and meeting other people and relationships were established and we had a counselling service as, uh, as well there, and then we were very active in trying to move people politically. And uh, overall, I thought we, we got massive support. Soon... Camp and the other ensuing LGBTQ plus groups that grew from this original organisation were holding a wide array of inclusive community events and public forums, including gay social groups, jazz ballet classes, pride parades and even gay Olympic sporting events. One of the most powerful things that camp members could do, as Graham and Viv explain it, was just to simply exist and be themselves in the public eye. I mean, we were giving so many talks, like... Sometimes, you know, two, three, four a week to groups like church groups, community groups, some professional groups eventually. So many people want to know because you've got to remember most of those people did not know another gay person and we were just talking. So they thought we were just going to give a talk, professional talk about homosexuality and we would do that for 10 minutes, right, and so... I would usually start and I'd go and chat about these things and then all of it, and then we would just drop it into the whole mix that we were both gay. And you'd see the visible reaction because that you had no way did they have any idea. And of course that was the effect you wanted. And you could see people changing. You could actually see yourself changing attitudes through the talk, and then at the end people would rush up, even even in those religious groups, you know, you'd still get people going, you know, well, because I would say, well, you know, you might have a grandparent who's gay or lesbian and you don't know. 
You might have an uncle, you might have, and then often people come and say, oh, you know what, actually I do have an uncle who's never married and he's got a very good close male friend. I wonder. General gays were not that visible. In the media, however, they were always portrayed in a light that suited the homophobes. Uh, this just reinforced the stereotypes. So it was important that there be people there in the gay community, and particularly from the point of view of camp, who were not like the gays portrayed in the media, like, uh, what's his name, in Are You Being Served? and all those British camp comedies and that. Uh, and we managed to do this quite well, I think. And I remember when we closed the coffee lounge, finally, uh, people were l- lamenting it. And I said, no, this is exactly what we wanted and so on. We want Everybody's now going and they're being accepted in cafes all around the metropolitan area. This is exactly what it's meant to do yeah. and we have achieved it. So should, you should be proud of, of that. But one of the great, we were talking last night about it actually, uh, one of the great joys I find now is we're going along, uh, driving along Cottesloe Beach, two young guys holding hands, crossing the crosswalk. And I just thought, well, wow, this is what it was all about. Oh, if it wasn't for camp, it wouldn't have been. It wasn't just instrumental. They were the absolute focus. That The only reason the laws were changed is because camp drove it and drove it. And we had nothing to fear. We were fearless. We were, you were not going to stop us. We're fighting for rights here. And because they assumed we would be horrified and we would be afraid of being outed and, you know, and shamed and embarrassed, and it didn't, it wasn't going to do that, then they couldn't do anything to us. So there's absolutely no doubt that Perth, Western Australia, has, you know, has the, is where it is in terms of gay rights because of what camp did. And similarly, camp in the rest of Australia. So remember, it was going all around Australia and, um, and we were all trying to support each other. In December 1989, after years of camp lobbying politicians, WA Parliament decriminalised sexual acts between two people of the same sex. Change had finally come. Fast forward to October 2020, exactly 50 years on from meeting each other, Brian and Graham were able to tie the knot and get married. Meanwhile, Viv Cass continues to work passionately as a clinical psychologist and is known internationally for her theory of lesbian and gay identity formation. For all three founding members, the journey of being their true selves has been one filled with few regrets. And for any listeners who might still be unsure about their sexuality and sharing that openly with others, Graham and Brian had a few words of wisdom. The advice is that you can't really be yourself as much as you would love to be, unless you do. It's the real you and the world is seeing the real you and you're part of it and there's no barriers uh, and if there are barriers, other people are creating those and I haven't got time to deal with those barriers and so on. I'm just enjoying being me. And once you do, once you do come out and so on, the burden that is lifted off your shoulders is enormous. And almost always you will find that whilst it was hard to do when you've done it, most people are accepting. Most people close to you are accepting. Yeah. And it's, it wasn't really a bad experience at all. And in so many cases, they turn around and say, well, we knew already.
This podcast was commissioned by the City of Perth and produced by Louisa Mitchell from the Centre for Stories. Editing and soundtrack by Mason Velios. Script support from Claudia Mancini. Special thanks to Brian Lindbergh, Graham Douglas and Vivian Cass.